My name is Sarah Fox. I am married to one of the pastors here, and so some of you might know me. Some of you might not, and that's great. You should come say hi to me afterward. Brooklyn is bringing Bibles up. You're going to need them tonight. As we get started, we I'm so excited to be here. I've been hearing about this series of that you guys have been in, and... Um, it's awesome to talk about the character of God. I want to start with a story of when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was really cool, almost as cool as I am now. At my school, it was cool to be in choir. Do you believe me? You don't have to believe me about that. But it was just, I went to a small Christian high school, and we had a choir that was like, um, it felt like we were cool. Jury's still out if we actually were. But we would go and we would compete. And once a year, we would go on these trips. So I went to Alaska on choir tour. We, could, we talked really cool, too, because we were like, well, we have tour later on, so I can't, I'll miss that because of tour. Um, we went to, thank you, we went to Catalina Island one year. We went to, they took, the year before I went in choir, they went to England. It was really cool. Well, when um, I was in choir, we were going to Catalina, and the best part about choir tour is that it's a trip to just hang out. You sing a little bit, you compete, but then there's just hangout time, and there's no adults, and I got my ears pierced in, Cal in Catalina. I got my cartilage pierced. It was, again, I'm telling you how cool I was. You guys don't believe me, but I'm telling you all these really cool things about what I was doing. The best thing about it was um, my sister was a senior a, the year that I was a sophomore, and she got to pick out the room assignments. And our choir director did not want to have it click off and be all clicky, like what's up with adults not wanting clicks? I don't know, it's a thing. Um, and so my choir director said to my sister Erin, you pick the rooms out, but don't put friends together. Just you know, like divvy it up, which is lame, right? Um, so my sister's at our house. She decides to pick things out of a hat to set up the rooms together. And I was not digging this whole random stuff. And I decided to sabotage the room picking out because I wanted to be with my friends and I knew my friends wanted to be with their friends. So I hid my name from the hat, as well as like my closest friend from the hat, and I waited till the very end and put him back in the hat. So magically, we got to be in the same room when we went to Catalina. It was awesome. What does that have to do with what we're talking tonight? Tonight, we're talking about love and jealousy. We're going to talk about how God exemplifies those two things perfectly and righteously. And my story will come back to you later. If you have your Bibles, you should now have them. Please turn to Exodus 33, the very end of it. And we're going to start reading in um, Exodus 33, verses 17. Here we go. Moses said to the Lord, that's not where I want to start, that's verse 12. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. Well, that's lame. We need to know what we're talking about, right? What has happened in this part of Exodus is that, if you remember, Moses went up, he got the Ten Commandments, he came down, and there was a golden calf issue where the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf. They were not worshiping Yahweh, their God, who they were supposed to. 
And Yahweh burns with anger. He's like, I'm going to kill them. It's terrible. I'm mad. And Moses says, please don't spare your people. Please stay with us. And Yahweh says, Yahweh God says, okay, great. We will. We will stay. I will stay my hand. You will be my people. We will continue on. And he says, okay, but we're going to do this, um, this, what am I saying? That the um, Ten Commandments, get the tablets again. Um, and so this is what Yahweh is saying. This very thing that you have spoken, that you've asked me to do, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. Verse 18, Moses is stoked that God is going to grant his request, and he says, please show me your glory. You guys might have talked about glory before in the Knowledge of the Holy series at the very beginning. The word glory is important to start to make sure that we understand where we're going as, as far as when we talk about love and jealousy. Glory is another, the, another way to say glory is weightiness. The fullness, the measurement of the goodness of God, his glory, we, it's sometimes depicted as light that we see in the Bible. It's an overall overwhelming weightiness. We can't measure God. We can't fully comprehend his goodness. But when we talk about his glory, Moses is basically saying, God, I want to see more of you. I want to see your fullness. I want to see how good you truly are. Would you show it to me? Because things are a little rocky. The relationship right now is a little rocky. Show me your glory. Verse 19, and he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, also known as Yahweh. I'll use that interchangeably tonight. And Yahweh says, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses says, great, God, I'm so glad we're in this relationship. We've been on rocky times. Going forward, would you show me your glory? Would you show me your goodness? And Yahweh says to Moses, you can't handle my goodness. You can't handle it because you would die. I am too good. So what he's going to do, the plan is, you hide in that rock, Moses. I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass by, remove my hand, and you can check out my back because that won't kill you. But you, that's as much of glory that you can handle. I am that good that that's all you can handle. Okay, sure, that makes sense. Find me a rock, a pretty good one, because maybe he can only survive if he sees the crack, sees through the crack. But here we are. That's how good our God is, and that's where we have to start tonight, recognizing the magnitude and the gravity that the glory of God cannot be held by man or else they will die. They will perish. Let's go on. So Moses goes up the next day, the beginning of chapter 34. I won't read all of it, but he goes up with the new tablets. He's ready. He's going to see God's glory. Amazing. If, do you think that if we all saw God's glory, that, that would be it? We'd be so easy to follow God. We wouldn't ever struggle, I sometimes think. Lord, if you just showed me some really cool display of how big you were, then I would fully know. Well, Moses, here's his opportunity. So um, chapter 34, verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. He took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, here's the plan. Remember, he's in the cleft of the rock. Verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... 
The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed quickly his head toward the earth and worshiped. If we're going to ask God to show us his glory, show us fully who you are, we want to know you, then you have this experience where Moses can't handle all of his glory because it's too grand. He hides him in the rock. And then you have this declarative statement of who God is. This is how God chooses to reveal himself to Moses. So we better pay attention. Moses asks, the God of the universe decides to reveal in this way. Now, there's a lot of words that we could unpack, that we could totally spend like three hours talking about this list of attributes that God gives himself. But tonight, I want to point out that first, the two things that are repeated. Twice he talks about his love. We can get hung up, and I will say just one thing, because sometimes when we read this, we're a little bit perturbed that there's talking about judgment, that there's talking about, well, am I going to be the people who are not going to be cleared um, and am I, am I going to have the iniquity of my father on me? I do need to just step aside and talk about that just for a minute so we don't get hung up on that. The point of this section is to magnify the great love. as it's repe- Love is repeated twice. The key here is that this love is uniquely like no other love. This love is steadfast and it is abounding. It is overflowing And it is a love that goes on to thousands and thousands of generations. You will talk next week, not next week, the week after that, about some wrath of God. And you can ask Brooklyn all of your hard questions about the wrath of God. Tonight, I want to put these together. That yes, the love of God is to the thousands of generations. And the judgment here talked about is to the third and fourth generation. We're going to stick on love tonight because that's what we have time for. This love, like I said, is like no other. The Old Testament uses a specific word that maybe you've heard before that's unique to the love that only God gives. Now, our world has some very interesting ways of talking about love. The number one song right now, talks about love. Miley Cyrus does a good job telling people that she doesn't need anybody else to love her, because what does she need? What, she, what can she do? She can buy herself flowers. She can dance with herself. She can hold her own hand. She don't need anybody else for love, right? We have so many under, preconceived notions of what love is. The, de, the Merriam-Webster definition is both a noun and a verb. There's like 13 inputs in the, defin- in the um, dictionary for what love is, because it's a million things. I can love ice cream. I can love my kids. We get it. We all know there's a ton of ways to love. The, the, de- the dictionary says that it is a, as a noun, it's a strong affection for another, arising out of a kinship or personal tie that you love someone, but it is just a strong affection. But you can also love your dog and hold them dear too. Um, and I think those definitions fall short. In the Bible, we see love all over the place. We see, yes, here that God is saying, I am loving. 
We will see throughout scripture that he uses, he declares this more and more, that I have this steadfast love, this never stopping, never giving up love that's going to pursue you. In the book of 1 John chapter 4, it says multiple times that God, in fact, is love. That's how he's defined. John 15, 1 says that greater love has no one than this, that he, that he lay down his life for his friend. Love is seen in a display of selflessness. 1 Corinthians, a very famous pa- passage, love is patient and kind. Love is an envy or boast. It goes on and on. John 3, 16. I asked one of my kids today, hey, I'm talking about love and jealousy tonight. What should I tell them? They said to me, read John 3, 16 and tell them for God so love the world. Well, that seems like I'm done now, but not really. We know these passages of love and yet we fail to put into practice real love and we also fail to trust the full love of the Father for us. So my biblical definition that I think we need to hold to in our, to make a personal definition, that when we say we love, we are willing to give ourselves for another's benefit. That is true love, to self-sacrifice so that someone else would benefit. I think that is the better way to love, and I challenge you to t- stop talking about how much you love things that are inanimate, but that's just an aside. That's extra points. We have this definition of love, and we kind of know, okay, Sarah, I get it, but I get love. I'm so glad God loves me. But if you rightly understand love, you know there's sort of a backside of love, not a backside, but a secondary thing that comes in the, in, in the I, don't wanna, I don't know what I'm trying to say. With love, holding hands with love, is a strong idea of hatred. Okay, so hear me out. If you love children, then you hate child abuse. Good nods. Thanks, Gideon. Sam? Agreed. If you love your parents, you hate when they get treated poorly. Are we together? If you love your friend, you're mad when they get treated with disrespect. Nobody's mad at you for being mad that they got disrespected. Nobody's mad at you for hating when people are, when humans are trafficked, right? Because we love people. But sometimes it's not really super fun to talk about that side of love. If a spouse is found that, the, uh, that their spouse was cheating on them, it is a natural response for them to be frustrated, angry, jealousy, all of those sort of negative things. You wouldn't call them crazy for having both, right? So when we talk about love and the love of God, we can't stay here. We have to also talk about jealousy. So let's go on in our passage and see what the passage says because it goes on to talk about jealousy. Verse 10 of Exodus 34. He said, that is God, Behold, I am making a covenant. A covenant is better than a contract. It is a, an agreement that will not be broken, especially when it's with the Lord. It surely will not be broken. Before all of your people, I make this, I will do marvels, such as not 
been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All these ites who we don't know, um, I don't know who those ites are, but I'm told that they were not great people, that they were living in this land that God was going to give his people, and they were filling it with terrible practices of child sacrifice, of sexual practices that are just absurd and ridiculously terrible. These ites are going to be driven out. Verse 12, God is saying, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. He's warning them about these people. You shall tear down their idols, their altars, and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. He's telling them to kick over their idols, come into this land and obliterate their idols, kick them over and destroy them. Okay, um, why? Could it be that if they participate in the same practices that they're going to get sexually transmitted diseases? Probably. Could it be that if they participate in their practices, their homes will be ruined because there will be unfaithfulness? Could it be that if they participate in their practices that their children will be murdered and slaughtered? Yes, those are all reasons why they should not participate with the inhabitants of the land and all of their evil practices. But what does God say is the reason why? Verse 14. You shall worship no other God for the Lord Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I liked logically those, all of those other reasons made sense. But he says here that actually God's name is Jealous. Usually when we think of jealousy, we think of ugliness. We think of that story that I thought of at at the beginning where I was jealous for my friend's time and affection that I was willing to connive and lie and deceive about how the room arrangements got broken up. But that is not jealousy. That was not jealousy because my friend's full time and friendship is not all righteously mine. That was envy because I wanted something that's not right, rightfully mine. Let me throw these definitions up there for you. Jealousy is such an important character of God. The definition that the dictionary gives, it is an, a, hostile, a hostile feeling toward a rival or one believed to have an advantage over you, or it's an intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Generally speaking, jealousy is an ugly thing. Sometimes we think of the boyfriend or the girlfriend, the the married man who's just totally insecure and so jealous when their significant other is participating in things that they are not participating in, right? That's generally what we see. But we have to learn to love the jealousy of God. Because he is the only one who is righteously deserving of all of our affections, of all of our glory being given to him. A better definition of jealousy that we need to come to understand is that it is a relational desire to maintain exclusive, deserved favor. 
The difference between jealousy and envy is that jealousy is over something that is rightfully yours. Very few times in humanity is it okay to be jealous because what is rightfully yours? Not a whole lot. When you get married, if you get married, your spouse you've entered into a covenant with, they are yours and that covenant should not be broken. But envy is this desire to gain possession of something that isn't rightfully yours. Let me give you an example. (laughs) Who is the best in this room? Who is the best karate black belt, arguably? Mm, Caleb, everybody knows. I don't think anybody else is a first degree black belt in here or higher. Please raise your hand. You're higher? Oh, yeah. When's the last time, um, could you guys compete? Okay, this is gonna fail. Right now, would you concede that Caleb might be, have a little bit, of, huh? He's the man. He's the man. So we're conceding, we're conceding with, this rea- with this reality that right now, Caleb is the best black belt karate, okay? So my, my thought is that next week, because he's always coming in late because of work, which is fine. Your mom and I talked. It's fine. It's not like I'm stalking you. It's just that I asked your mom some questions. You know, we're like, we spend more time together right now. Um, you come in a little bit late because of work. What if next week or the week after, when he comes in, we just pause. Whoever's talking up here stops. If we're worshiping, we got to stop, and we just go, Caleb's the best black belt. Caleb's the best black belt. Caleb's the best black belt. And then we get on and go on with whatever else we're going to do. It's not wrong. It's right. He is. Right here he is. It's be fine to attribute what is right of him. Wouldn't it be? You're all uncomfortable. He would hate that probably. Why? Why would you hate that? Why would he hate that? Why would that not be okay? Why does that rub you wrong? Draws attention. Any, why else does it rub you wrong? It makes others feel lesser than. Makes others feel lesser than? We're elevating him above other people. Where did he get that ability? Where did he, how did he get to be where he is today? Hard work, yes, let me not diminish that. But are his abilities completely sourced within himself fully? No, they're not. Now, it'd be okay to to recognize that here, but if we praised him for that, we would all be a little bit hesitant to do that for a lot of reasons. And I think the most important reason is, is because it is right to deflect that glory because it is not from him that he got that ability, the time spent, the finances, all of this, the physical body to do this over the years. It is from God, is it not? His hand is sovereign in that. So if we give Caleb and the, and the praise ends at Caleb, that's wrong. But the deflection of praise to where it is sourced is right. Are we together? In the similar way, as we give glory to things of this earth, it is only right for us to to give glory where the glory comes from, where the goodness is sourced. And as believers who come to church, it's kind of easy to say the right answer here, which is God. 
All good things are sourced, are given by God. And so it's not okay for Caleb to come in and be worshipped. It's not okay for us to worship him. It is only okay to worship the one where all the goodness comes from. If we can agree that all the goodness comes from the one true Yahweh God, I think we can do that. I hope we can. We can recognize that he alone is glorious, he is worthy, and he is all of these wonderful attributes you've been studying over the weeks and will continue to study. And his jealousy is one of those. Because if he lets us go after things that are not sourced in his goodness and glory, then we are actually harming ourselves. It is most loving for God to go after his own glory because it is what is best for you and for me and for the person next to you, for all of us. If we don't go after the glory of God and he allows us to go after other things, if he's not jealous, then he's not loving us. He has this relentless pursuit for the affections of your heart, the actions of your hands, the way that you walk and conduct yourself. All of your life, he's persistently pursuing you with a jealousy that is coupled with his deep love because it it is most right for you and for me to glorify him. And if he was not loving, he would be okay if we went after the things of this world. He would be okay if he wasn't loving us. He'd be okay if we went after pursuit of our own glory. If he didn't love us, he'd say, go ahead and have a covenant with these evil people. But he knew that the covenant with the evil people would bring destruction And so he states his jealousy, not as some hot head, because we think that this jealousy is ugly. In our world, jealousy is ugly when we see it in humans, because humans don't actually deserve, what am I trying to say, any of the favor that that God deserves. The doctrine of jealousy simplified is this, that Yahweh has a consuming pursuit of exclusive faithfulness and deserved honor from people because he loves them and it is what is best for them. God cares about us most when he cares about himself most. We sing a lot of worship songs. And you, we kind of want, because we've seen such ugly jealousy, we kind of want to picture God when we sing, holy, there is no one like you, for him to be like, oh, shucks. <laughs> Don't say that. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I, we want him to be humble. We think that's humble. We want to, shh, it's okay. As long as you, like, your neighbor knows that I'm pretty good. Because we get uncomfortable with this idea. But when we're saying, holy, there is no one like you, what's God doing? He's saying louder. I can't hear you. It's better for you to yell my praise. And it's better for you to tell someone else to yell my praise. Not because he's ugly in his jealousy. Because he's so loving in his jealousy that he wants you to experience the goodness of relationship with him. Because that's what brings the most life to you. It's what you were made for. 
We kind of have to sit in this, though. When we think of God being jealous, is it okay that he says, sing it louder? Are we okay with that? We should be if we rightly understand his great love for us, that he wants us to live life to the best, to where it was meant to be, without pain and suffering. Yes, there is pain and suffering in this world, but life with God is the best good. (laughs) If God wasn't jealous for our faithfulness, then he wouldn't love you. If God wasn't jealous for our faithfulness, then he wouldn't love you because he would let you settle for things that would lead to death. So what? That's nice. I know God loves me. I should probably love him too. But we have to love his jealousy of us because he is persistent And it's not ugly. He's persistent because his love is so vast and good. What can we do with this? We can ask ourselves several questions. Because I think we hate a lot of things in this world. As humans, it's easy to hate things. I hate it when people sneeze a lot. It's annoying to me. My husband sneezes in like repetitions of four. I I can't do anything about it. We've been married for 14 years and he still sneezes the way he sneezes and I hate it. But am I hating the right things? I have passions against, what else do I hate? I don't know, there's a lot of things. (laughs) I hate it when my kids leave the sink all wet in the morning when they're getting ready. But do I hate it when we don't spend time to reflect and thank God for our day and the fact that I have four kids that make my sink messy, that I'm pursuing the right things? I want us to hate the right things. We're tolerant of songs. We're tolerant of jokes that put down the glory of God and make him small. Jokes are so easy because we love to laugh. I love to laugh. A lot of times we are stuck between hard places to decide if we're going to laugh at that joke or tell that joke because it puts, makes God small or makes his people small. I hope that you ask yourself, am I hateful of the right things? Go home and tell your parents, what did you talk about tonight? Well, Sarah Fox told me to hate better. I would love that if someone came up to me, their parents said, so you're telling my kid to hate? Yes, I am, because we have to hate the things God hates because he's jealous for his glory. He's jealous for our hearts. He wants us to live rightly before him, and he wants us to live in his full love. If you're going to hate well, I hope you hate well. Also, let me pull you, encourage you to not be apathetic. Because pursuit of the glory of God is not just in your actions or I'm not going to hang out with these people or I'm not going to do this because, you know, I go to church and I shouldn't. But we should have the same pursuit of God's love and the jealous pursuit of his glory that he has for us. 
If we're going to pursue the glory of God, let us also be open-handed with the people in your life. Don't try to be holding on to a jealousy for, for, for friends or people that you don't want to share. And finally, if we're really wanting to apply the jealousy of God in our life, be okay with the mundane. Because God is often honored in the mundane choices. When you choose to not gossip, you're glorifying God and nobody knows it. You're not going to get glory for it. No one's going to go and say, hey, I, heard, I, I realize that you kept your mouth shut there. Thanks for not gossiping about them. No one's going to know. But in that failure to gossip, you're glorifying God and that's mundane. To serve your family members is mundane. But it's glorifying God because it's acting like Christ. I hope that we can walk in understanding of the jealousy of God and I hope that we can live differently because we know that a God who loves us so much isn't just standing off, he's pursuing us with a jealous passion for our hearts.